Welcome back to Streamageddon, the streaming TV podcast that has seen it all, my friends. Uh, some exceptions may apply. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined, uh, as always, by my co-host, Diane Nora. Happy New Year, Diane. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Chris. I'm going to have to call a, a Larry David on you there. It is too late in the year for Happy New Year. At I'm, this point, I'm we sorry. Just, Happy we just, just current year, Diane. Happy 2023. It's been a great year so far. We're just we're just living in it in this streaming world where a lot has happened since we last recorded. So we are going to get to some news in a few minutes, catch you up on all of the, the uh, shows that have disappeared during during our hiatus. And then uh, we're going to talk about a new streaming show that we just binged, a new year, new show on Netflix, Kaleidoscope. And this one, if you have not heard of it, it has a catch. That catch is you can watch most of the season in any sequence you desire. Is that a good thing? Is that an interesting thing? Is it perhaps a bad thing? Well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you now. You have to listen to the episode to find out. And on our way there, we're going to have a a conversation about these kind of structural gimmicks in general. And I'm going to use the word gimmick a lot in this episode, but I'm going to say up front, I do not mean that pejoratively. A gimmick is a great thing. I love a good gimmick. And we're going to talk about some great gimmicks and then some not so great gimmicks later in this episode. You, You like a good gimmick, Diane? I do. I'm I'm a sucker for a good one. I might have known that and planned accordingly. But first, like I said, it's a new year. There's a lot of news going on. And in order to even begin this conversation, I have a surprise for you, Diane. Yes, that music means it's time to play Renewed or Cancelled, our favorite game show where I challenge Diane to tell me, have these shows been renewed? or canceled and possibly wiped from existence. We're going to find out right now. Are you excited, Diane? Uh, A bit nervous. I thought since we had a a lot to talk about today, this might not happen. And yet here we are. It's always when you least suspect it. (laughs) And that brings us to our first question. Question one, 1899. Has 1899 been renewed or canceled? 1899 was Cancelled on Netflix. That is correct. Cancelled on Netflix after one season. People seemed surprised. I did not watch it, so I do not know whether to be surprised or not. I heard it was pretty good. Yep. Yep. It was like a puzzle box show. Puzzle box. We're going to talk about puzzle boxes later. It's one of the many structural gimmicks that people love or don't. And I guess in this case, not enough people loved it. Uh, Next question. 61st Street. Uh... Can I ask what that airs on? Yes, you can. It airs on AMC. Oh, that was canceled. Correct. <laughs> you knew when I said AMC, didn't you? It's it's rough, rough yep. out there for an yep. AMC the, the, show. The uh, theme in some of these questions this round are struggling smaller streamers. AMC is absolutely one of them. Uh, 61st Street, I did not ever hear of this show, but it starred Courtney Vance, who I love. Uh, and was a legal drama, uh, which I love Courtney Vance in. Unfortunately, not enough people heard of it, um, and apparently I'm not alone in this being the first time I've ever heard of 61st Street, which was ordered for two seasons. They shot the second season. They're never going to edit it or air it. They'd, they'd wrapped filming, which is a real bummer. That's such a shame, yeah. Uh, well, you know, maybe this will cheer you up. Question three. Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday got renewed. Of course it did. It's a hit. Did you follow this story going around that people thought Amazon was going to say you can't have Wednesday anymore because Amazon bought MGM? 
I did. I heard of it. I didn't actually see this happening. Apparently, it was going around on TikTok, this, which I have trained my TikTok algorithm to give me just um, handsome people and recipes. So Beautiful. it didn't pop up on my TikTok. I saw but, it um, pop up in some like clickbait headlines as well. And, and just like, to, to be clear, no, that was never going to be a problem. Netflix never would have bought no. Wednesday if they didn't have an ironclad option to renew it. That's just 101, guys. Contracts 101. Yeah, it seemed very unlikely. Yeah, yeah. So Wednesday, coming back for more. Uh, but mm, are these other shows coming back for more? Because I have two more questions for you, Diane. First up, Dangerous Liaisons. Dangerous Liaisons was canceled. That's correct. Canceled at Stars with a Z. Stars is uh, owned by Lionsgate, but trying to spin itself off, or, or they own Lionsgate and Stars. They're trying to split up. I, you know, my eyes glazed over when it began to talk about Stars, the network. Um, but we uh, we do know uh, from our beloved series Minx, which is a Lionsgate TV production. Lionsgate TV in general is kind of struggling right now. Then you add to the fact that Stars as a network is kind of struggling right now. Yes, I um I fear for some great content. Speaking of content you might need to fear for, last question, Step Up. Oh, Step Up, I think, was canceled on HBO Max? Uh, Stars. Stars. Also Stars. Oh, another Stars. Yeah. My apologies. Mm -hmm. Step Up, also canceled on Stars. Also canceled on Stars, Becoming Elizabeth. Three shows canceled Mm. on Stars, and here's the twist. They've all been removed from streaming. Woof. Yep. The Purge. The Purge continues... And that is it for this round of Renewed or Cancelled, but not it for The Purge, unfortunately. The Purge is with us uh, forevermore, perhaps, and we're going to discuss that in the news right after, uh, you know, some just jangly music. All right, that's some beautiful jangly music. I love it every time. And it really gets me uh, pumped up to talk about all the ways that streaming seems to be going south all of a sudden at the end of 2022 into 2023. uh, We just covered several shows that have vanished uh, from the streaming landscape. Stars has pulled them, and it's not super clear why. Uh, We've got a link uh, to Deadline's reporting on this in the show notes. But one thing Deadline pointed out is we know why HBO Max has been removing shows. They have this special tax holiday, essentially, from their merger with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. And that says, hey, if you call a bunch of things a loss that was uh, merger-related, oops, we bought Batgirl. It's a loss. Throw it away. And we can write that off as a one-time merger loss. Uh, So we know why HBO Max has been doing that even if we do not necessarily like that they are doing that. Stars is not super clear why they're doing this, except that Lionsgate is trying to separate itself from Stars, and neither of them are having a really good time of it. Um, so some really strange, uh, ominous vibes going on in the, the streaming universe right now. Wouldn't you say, Diane? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is part of a, a course correction in terms of the size of shows we noticed that in the or it's been reported that in the second half of 2022 uh the number of shows ordered reduced significantly um so i think that we'll be seeing fewer shows made and then in a reflection of that fewer shows available to stream going forward uh which is rough for the industry i am curious about what it will mean for consumer experience there is a point where there's just been too much to watch everything. And 
will the average user feel a loss uh, by so many of these shows getting canceled? Unless it was your favorite show, potentially not. I think that's a really good point. I think one of the things that happened while we were gone was HBO Max removed more things, unsurprisingly. They removed uh, several seasons of The Flintstones and a bunch Mm. of years worth of Looney Tunes shorts. And this is a situation where people were, once again, kind of upset, outraged. Uh, These are classics. Some of the Looney Tunes cartoons they removed are literally classics. Uh, But at the same time, I think nobody was logging into HBO Max to watch these things. I, I just, I'm confident that they have a spreadsheet somewhere that says no one was streaming these. And the number of people who actually were, because of course I'm being a little hyperbolic here, wasn't worth the cost of re-upping the licensing agreements for them. Because their licenses expired, and you, you have to either renew them or not. And I think the default for a long time has been renew it, keep it. The default is keep it up. And now the default is no... Why would we pay to keep something if no one is still watching it? I think also in the streaming era, we know that for some of them too, they're getting to a pretty granular point in their data where they look not just at who's streaming it, but if we get rid of this, will the person who was watching it get rid of the service? Was anyone signing up for HBO Max just to watch, you know, seasons four, five, and six of the Flintstones, just seasons four, five, and six? And I'm guessing that that number is very low. I think you're correct. And I think that's where we're going to see more of these shows disappear. Those examples from Stars I just pointed out, all of them were Mm. already canceled over the last two or three months, but then they all got pulled from streaming uh, very recently. And I think that just follows naturally. The the ratings for all three of those were really low. And I I imagine if we're being, you know, generous, maybe Stars gave them that extra month or two on streaming just to see like, hey, do they find any audience? Is it worth keeping it, keeping the season we made up? And in each case, I'm sure they found pretty quickly no, partly because no. Stars is not a marquee streaming destination. So w- what else are you going to do? Are you going to pay to keep this thing that nobody is watching? No. Ultimately, no. Which doesn't necessarily reflect the quality of that content, which is hard. Right. That's Absolutely. Hard. Yeah. And, and as we have said many times on this show when we talk about this, sometimes we make light of uh, the way these decisions are reached, but they are serious decisions that affect people's livelihoods. We are, Our hearts constantly go out to the people who spent all their t- money, life, time, whatever you want to quantify it as, making a thing, and then to have it disappear and not even be available on like DVD. That era has passed by. So it's not like, oh, you can still buy it. In some of these cases, you can't. That's really rough. I also worry that if some of this um, pressure on shows getting made, um, if that reduces the sort of pipeline for newer creators, if in five, ten years down the line, we do see an overall quality decline of the shows we get to see. Because, you know, there's still, you know, your super popular show creators. Miguel Sapochnik is going to be fine, right? Even if not every show he makes is a massive hit, he's going to be fine. But someone just starting out may have a loss or may not be able to find their way into the industry as we see these sort of industry-wide constrictions. And going down the line, that could also affect the overall quality for consumers. 
Yeah, and I think it'll affect the uh, risk level that streamers are willing to take when they greenlight a new project. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, another example we just talked about, 61st Street on Stars. That was a two-season order originally, and in hindsight, they clearly regret that decision. And that makes me wonder, because there have been some shows that have had two-season orders where I'm not sure they would have greenlit the second season based on the first season's ratings, but the two seasons together gave the creators the confidence that they had the time to tell the story they wanted to tell. An example I think of a lot is a a Starz show, ironically, uh, called Counterpart that starred J.K. Simmons. And that real niche, real interesting show, I am confident that they wrote it as a two-season arc because that's how it unfolded. And it was a two-season order originally. And you can nitpick whether the second season was as good as the first season. It wasn't. But uh, the fact that they were able to plan that out was part of why I thought the first season was so good. It was really confident. And now, what are the odds that a streamer is going to pick up your weird parallel universes niche show to begin with? And then, what are the odds they're going to give you a two-season order for it? And eh, not so great. No. No, really. It's it's still a tough time. <laughs> yeah. Ah, ah. Welcome to 2023, a tough time for all. Uh, but you know, not not tough everywhere. Some things are coming back. Uh, those shift gears to some better news. The Daily Show is coming back without Trevor Noah. It is entering its new strange guest host era. And the first list of guest hosts is actually uh, excellent. I am super jazzed to tune in uh, for at least one episode each of all of these hosts. So we, we are going to start with Leslie Jones. Great. Uh, then Wanda Sykes gets a week, D.L. Hughley gets a week, Chelsea Handler gets a week, and Sarah Silverman gets a week. All great ideas. I would love to see how each one of them uh, gels with the, the writers and the, the correspondents. Because part of what's going to be so interesting here is, are they going to be, what you know, what are, the writing staff is mostly still there. What are they going to do? How are they going to change the show? And this is an opportunity to try on a lot of different, uh, you know, kind of new vibes for The Daily Show, because like Trevor Noah's Daily Show had a different vibe than Jon Stewart's Daily Show, had a different vibe than Craig Kilborn's Daily Show. That's part of the evolution. So now they get to kind of speed run that and try on a bunch of different ones. I'm really curious to see how they approach it. Trying to find your vibe in only a few episodes is a big challenge, though these are all hosts with a really established comedic sensibility. So I think that's a really smart move for jumping in. Um, I think it shows that they're trying to reach out potentially to new audiences. Uh, It's a diverse lineup. No white guys in the bunch. Love to see it. I don't hate it. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I am interested to see if we'll be able to tell from watching which of these potential hosts is actually gunning for the job. Uh, Chelsea Handler told Variety she was. She wants it. Um, I don't know about the rest of them. They've got other stuff going on. Maybe for them, this is a great one-week gig and a chance to promote something else they're really excited about, but not necessarily, you know, their dream job. Yeah, I'm really curious about that, too. I was uh, impressed with Chelsea Handler just kind of coming out and saying, yeah, I want this job. I'm really excited to do it for a week, and, and I hope they think I'm good, you know? I, yeah. Great. Tell us. Tell us. I want to see people gunning for it. We've heard Roy Wood Jr. come out and say that, too. He wants the job. And right now, I would consider him, in my mind, the front runner for it. But uh, excited to see how this pans out. We'll check in occasionally, see how we're feeling about the guest hosts. Uh, But now to shift gears uh, heavily, Uh, Diane, you have a link here about the Nike Training Club. 
Please explain to me what this has to do with Streamageddon. Well, Netflix is uh, trying to find ways to avoid the dreaded churn, meaning uh, to avoid people dropping their service and then picking it back up next time Stranger Things comes back. Uh, so <laughs> they've tried a few new venues to bring in viewers with some ideas that may be sticky. We've talked a little bit about their video game plans. They're also launching this fitness partnership with Nike on Netflix. So you can log into Netflix and check out 36 hours of fitness content if you want. I think they're hoping that people will rewatch some of those episodes because that doesn't sound like all that much content yet. Um, and I have promised Chris that for our next episode, I will preview this content, test it out, and give a, a very mini review. Mm, I can't wait because I have no desire to watch any of these. <laughs> I already watch a bunch of this kind of content on YouTube because I get very bored with, you know, doing the same workouts all the time. So I'll just try random stuff. So why not try Netflix? I love it. I, th I think they have a mantra at Netflix right now where if anyone comes in with an idea for something that is not a typical TV or movie project, they go, why not try it? Sure, we'll throw some money at that. While we still can. That, that's a, a phrase that used to get said a lot in streaming. I'm glad somebody's still saying it somewhere, even if it for some reason is about fitness. Well, in their defense, this is cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is actually a really good point to make. It's not like this costs a lot for them to shoot. Seems smart to me. Mm. Well, you know what else seems smart on the surface? A puzzle box show, or a, a non-linear storytelling experience, or a choose-your-own-adventure. Those are all things that sound really smart and clever on the surface, but are they always smart and clever inside? Well, that is something we're going to talk about in this episode, because we watched Kaleidoscope, a new show on Netflix. And Kaleidoscope, uh, we're going to talk about our feelings about the show in a little bit. So no spoilers yet. Don't worry about that. I really want to, like, dig into this uh, experiment, let's call it. Uh, Kaleidoscope is an eight-episode heist story, and episodes one through seven can be watched in any order you choose. Uh, and in theory, could be totally randomized. You could just, you know, kind of pick at random. And then episode eight is the culmination, the, the finale of the series, and that is the heist itself that the whole series is gunning up towards. Um, th that structure is interesting, and we'll talk about whether we think it was effective or not, uh, but it made me want to kind of dig into these non-linear or non-traditional story structures, because it's something that is increasingly popular. Uh, I would say, when I began to make this list, most of the examples that came to mind are from the last decade. Uh, and there are some older ones, but I feel like it's a, a, as we've got more streaming choices, more shows, more movies, how do you differentiate yourself? And one way to differentiate yourself is to just have a good gimmick. And so in the case of Kaleidoscope, they're really leaning into the gimmick. And I think, you know, marketing-wise, that's the right choice, because that's what differentiates it from just rewatching Ocean's Eleven. Uh, so, Diane, mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, the oldest example I could think of, of like a storytelling structural gimmick like this, would be the backwards episode of Seinfeld. And, and I know there are earlier examples in history, but from my personal TV history, I, I, I will never forget 
that episode because it did feel so strange that it was beginning at the end and they they leaned into it with the credits being at the end instead of the beginning they did they did the whole thing and i thought oh so interesting so uh, like futuristic yeah i love that and i do remember watching that as a young person and sort of leaning in i was trying to think of would something like the love boat count where you had um you know a show that's like vignette style instead of a normal sitcom but i think with those shows like love american style did the same thing it wasn't really breaking form it was more that shows at that point hadn't coalesced around a certain structure of what a sitcom was and so as much as we talk about classics and breaking form it kind of reminded me how new tv is you know, like these rules that we feel are so established really kind of came around in the 1970s and just sort of were agreed upon. So um, the big rise for me, I think of like a form break would be if we think about the uh, single cam shows rising. Um, and you had listed uh, The Office as one of those with the mockumentary form. Um, I think that really changed a lot of stuff. In, in my memory um, of like a show doing a format really differently. Yeah. And that, that era too stretches back more like 20 years, really the beginning of right. that evolution. I think of the office obviously, cause it's got that single cam uh, production style, but then also the mockumentary uh, format that was mm-hmm. in movies before, you know, you think of like spinal tap and, and those movies, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been around since like Fellini in the 60s yeah. or 70s, yeah, yeah. so it's old. But but the first time it came to TV, and it works, I think. I, yeah, it's, maybe... it's turned into its own tried and true structure that now we, we you know, last year we're talking about how Abbott Elementary was breathing new life into the tired old format of the mockumentary. <laughs> uh, so that, and that is how quickly uh, a new interesting gimmick can, you know, get really popular because obviously The Office led to Parks and Rec, all these other shows that played with that mockumentary format. And then we got kind of tired of that mockumentary format somewhere around season 28 of Modern Family. I think one thing that I like to think about with these shows is when are they doing it to tell something essential to that story? And when are they doing, when are they breaking form to just to try and get our attention. Is it a gimmick in the sense that we're just uh, kind of cynically playing into the human interest? Or is it really just, I must tell this story this way, the form and content are inseparable? Uh, for me, I don't think Kaleidoscope I fully reached that. but I, um, I agree. <laughs> but I do applaud... For all of these shows that are trying something new, I do applaud the effort. Yeah. Like, I'm excited that people are playing with form in television. Yeah, you know, in some of the more recent examples that I was trying to think of, The Resort came to mind, which we reviewed last mm-hmm. summer, and we both really enjoyed that. Uh, and and its form breaking wasn't too dramatic. It was just two timelines, one set in the present, one set in the past, and then some kind of dreamy, magical realism stuff. 
Uh, and, and I, you know, that show did not catch fire. I, I doubt we're going to see that show ever again. But at the same time, I really respected that it felt that this is how that story needed to be told, that it wouldn't, they, they couldn't do that another way and achieve the kind of story they were trying to tell. So it did feel really integral and like it connected to the themes of time and uh, the, the kind of cyclical nature of it. Uh, so sure, sometimes it makes perfect sense to me. And then sometimes it's a show like Westworld where some of it makes sense and some of it's just a puzzle box for puzzle box sake because wouldn't it be a great mid-season reveal if you found out that they've been robots this whole time or it's actually the future and you thought it wasn't like okay i guess but when you do that over and over again and it doesn't feel like it's uh advancing the story as much as it's just uh twisting the story okay Chris, are you familiar with a show called Cop Rock? Cop Rock? I am familiar with a show called Cop Rock. <laughs> to me, that's like uh, something that I may be lost to streaming. I mean, I know there are some like clips of it on YouTube. I don't think anyone's paying to, no. <laughs> to post Cop Rock right now. <laughs> but, you know, that short-lived 90s experiment in form is one of those where I'm like, Gosh, I really do respect the ambition, even though this is one of the greatest disasters I've ever witnessed. Yes. Uh, Imagine Law and Order, the musical, but dead, dead serious, just absolutely seriously that. Uh, and you've got Cop Rock. So seriously. It's like, uh, you know, I think that people, I mean, even Law and Order, you're saying that half the structure is going to be a cop show and half the structure is going to be a legal drama. At the time, that was that was form breaking That's they're true. saying we can throw both of these kinds of shows together yeah oh yeah and that one has really stood the test of time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh, you know another example that came to mind for me is the affair did you ever watch that on showtime i did i did i think that the um yeah the, the if people don't remember that the gimmick for that one is that uh, we saw the same uh, story the same episode essentially from different perspectives uh usually about the the man and the woman at the center of the affair uh but uh that that i thought was a really interesting choice and i did not like it but it's not that I didn't think it was an interesting, good idea. It killed the momentum for me where I felt like I was re-watching things. And I, and I know that's part of the point. But sometimes the gimmick can be great, but if it doesn't jive with a particular person, you might not find a big audience or you, you might have to pivot where your audience is. Like maybe the story content speaks to one audience, but the gimmick doesn't speak to them. You need to make sure that, you know, the characters in the story also speak to the same kind of audience that would get excited about this structural choice and not distracted or confused by it. I agree with that assessment. I actually like some aspects of the affair. I think in ways it's quite a well-told drama, but what I wanted from a show with that gimmick and with that title, honestly, was something a little bit juicier, a little bit sexier, a little more fun. And it's quite a dark, dark drama. Uh, so that part of it to me, I was like, oh, this is, this is a lot to watch. And it took away some of the fun that was promised in the premise. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, speaking of fun, there are some comedy examples here. Uh, we, we talked about The Office in the kind of early 2000s era. Another great example there would be Arrested Development, which once again lauded and loved in its original run, but also struggled to really connect with a large enough audience to get renewed because it had these strange off-putting gimmicks for some people, like Ron Howard narrating the show and strange callbacks to non-existent inside jokes you know, th- those were choices that felt really st- like you wouldn't do that in a network comedy because that's not the structure. That's not what people come to expect. You're going to turn them off. And they did turn people off in some ways with it, then became a cult classic. And then when they went to Netflix, tried a different structure where they m- messed with the timeline and told everything out of sequence and nobody liked it. One thing about that structural choice where they d- they did the, the Rashomon, Rashomon type style, structure. Yeah for season four was that it was not born of the storytelling. I think it was born of necessity because uh, the cast was really busy. So many people had broken out since the show's original airing and they were busy doing other things. So I think that part of the reason it was structured that way was because like Jeffrey Tambor was busy and couldn't be in every episode. But for a show that relied so much on the characters playing off each other, it was hard to replicate when one episode was just your Tobias story. Right. And then you'd later have to figure out what was that thing happening in the background with Maybe, because I haven't seen the Maybe episode yet. And then when I see the Maybe episode, oh, that's what was going on in the Tobias episode, which is a, a, that's the structural gimmick is, oh, you're going to learn more about what happened in this episode later, and then you might want to rewatch it, you might get new layers of, you know, understanding or jokes in the background you didn't see before. Like, that, that's a choice. I get it. I, I agree that it didn't serve the story or those characters in that season. Uh, and that's the challenge. And I think that's the same thing we're going to talk about with Kaleidoscope in a minute is, sure, the structure and the, the there's a reason you would choose that structure, but this didn't necessitate it. This didn't, um, you know, justify it. Thinking back on that first example you gave of Seinfeld, it's one thing to play with your structure when you already have the audience hooked. When yes. you already know these characters and you already... Um, Uh, there's a certain level of comedy that people have come to expect, then you have a bit of free reign. I think we saw, um, did you watch the second season of Girls? Uh, Lena Dunham has the bottle episode with Patrick Wilson, which I think for a TV show and for that TV show in particular, she really started breaking form. Uh, The first season was much more of a unlikable character, but still a traditional comedy. Uh, And then really with that one, we saw something going totally in a different direction. Uh, I think that if you have your viewers already hooked, it's easier to play that game. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. When I was thinking about that Seinfeld episode, it occurred to me it only works because I've already seen like six seasons of Seinfeld at this point. I know these characters so well. I know the structure of the show so well that when you reverse it, part of the the humor is seeing the punchline as the setup and the setup as the punchline because I know the structure of the show and I know what, what makes these characters tick, right? That mm-hmm. wouldn't work if the first episode of Seinfeld was the backwards episode. You know, it, I wouldn't know. I don't I can't I struggle to think of any show where I would want every episode to be backwards. Somebody proved me wrong, but that sounds terrible on the surface. And and I agree with girls like that. Patrick Wilson episode is maybe my favorite episode of girls ever. 
but I it's would, so good. I wouldn't want that to be every episode of Girls because it wouldn't really go anywhere or make any sense. It sure wouldn't take off as a pilot like that, I don't nope. think. Nope. Well, you know, I would watch that pilot because it's 30 minutes of Patrick Wilson, but but I don't think it would have gotten the, the critical acclaim, let's say. Agreed. Uh, you know, there's so many good examples here. I, we could keep going for a long time, but there is one more uh, that I want to touch on because I think it leads into Kaleidoscope in an, in an interesting way because it's a different genre. I'm thinking of Love Life, the HBO Max rom-com series, uh, which has a non-linear story structure. Each episode is a different uh, relationship in the protagonist's life, not necessarily in chronological order. But they chose the order to tell us this story. They don't say, hey, here's, you know, a season of love life. Watch them in any order you choose. No, they give you the order. The order goes backwards and forwards in time to help you uh, go through the life story of this person as they find love. And it feels like it serves the storytelling to do it that way. But they're in control of the sequence. And I think that is a huge point that will be apparently important in a minute when we talk about Kaleidoscope. Agreed. So Love Life was an imperfect show, in my opinion, but one that I found really satisfying and easy to watch. Uh, ultimately, like I thought the second season was better than the first, and I was pretty bummed to see that it wouldn't be coming back. Um at the same time, I think that as much as it didn't have, it didn't proceed chronologically, it still went in order in the sense that we saw the character's emotional arc over a season of eight episodes. Um, and so the moments were still building in a way. And I think that uh, they were still very thoughtful about the story progression. In fact, maybe even had to be more thoughtful about the story progression because it was um, that it was dictated by what they were going through emotionally rather than what happens next as a plot point. Yeah, I think that is so well said. And a perfect segue for us to transition to this week's review. We are going to talk about Kaleidoscope. And uh, don't worry, no spoilers just yet. This is a tough one to do a real spoiler alert on uh, for reasons we will discuss. But uh, to start, we're just going to share our impressions. So if you're curious, don't worry. Uh, or, or maybe get worried, because if you haven't noticed yet, we're not loving it. But still, find out why as we talk about Kaleidoscope. And we're telling this review out of sequence. So this has been the review. Uh, I think we said some very smart and intelligent things, Diane. In fact, maybe our best, most thorough review yet. Uh, I, I'm sorry that, that the system randomly chose the end of the review as the first episode of the review. But I, that we have no control over that. That's the randomness of the algorithm. I feel betrayed by the review. I am so upset. I'm having a deep perhaps even melodramatic moment about it. Um, and where's, wait, where's, no, it's all resolved. Oh, it's all resolved? I was going to say, where's DJ, the character that was introduced midway through the review and now is missing? Has anyone seen DJ? R RJ? <laughs> RJ, DJ, PJ. Uh, he's missing, so I can't ask him his name. <laughs> but you never met him because he joined midway through the episode and you haven't seen that part of the episode yet. I'm sorry. Oh, brother. 
Oof. And that, friends, that's the experience of watching Kaleidoscope, a new eight-episode heist series on Netflix, where you can watch episodes one through seven in any order you choose. Whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, you can do that. And uh, so this is our complicated spoiler warning. Uh, we are going to share our feelings first and then tell you when we're beginning to reveal details of the plot. But again, you can watch the first seven episodes in any order. So we, w- once we start talking about what happens in them, I have no control over whether we are spoiling the first episode or the seventh episode because it's up to you. It is, or it's up to your algorithm. You could just leave it to the algorithm and see what they give you. I, yeah, I should say, I, we watched this knowing that was the gimmick. That was the reason we checked it out. Um, I did not selectively choose any episodes. I just let it feed them to me in the order Netflix supposedly randomly gave them to me. Though Diane and I compared the orders Netflix gave us, and they are really similar. They are not the same, but I would say they're like 70% the same. I will say that I had decided after two episodes that this was not a series that I needed to spend eight hours of my life on. And I do think different folks will have a different experience of it. But we had decided for our review that we would both watch the white episode, which is the episode with the heist. It's a heist show. And uh, so I have seen... The, the episode finale. that you're intended to watch last. Everyone's I, intended to watch that last. Right. And, and you know, each episode is a, a different snapshot in time. Uh, so mm. the, the the heist is the finale, is the, the main event. But there are two episodes that take place after the heist. And those you watch before the episode that is the last episode so if you're if you're following instructions which you could also just go wild and just start with the heist and honestly i don't think there was a lot of payoff to ending with the heist so you do you you want to start with the heist go for it uh but i found it really strange that they were building everything up towards this one moment the heist that's the finale they tell you this and then on the way there i saw all the things that happened after the finale and uh, in both my order and in your order that Netflix, uh, you know, again, supposedly randomly created, those episodes that take place after the heist were the two right before the heist, which for me totally removed a lot of the momentum and tension going in. Uh, I get that the idea there is to create more intrigue of what happened during the heist, because spoiler alert, the heist doesn't go according to plan. But that's not really a spoiler alert. It's a heist story. And the heist always doesn't go according to plan until you find out it was all part of a larger plan. Uh, And so, you know, that part's not surprising. So seeing the fallout and that things didn't go according to plan is all part of a plan that's the the, it's the genre and then you show us a lot of what happened afterwards and in fact in one of the episodes you show us what happened six months afterwards and sort of wrap up everyone's stories uh and then we have to go back and care about the heist that we know did not go according to plan and we already know everything that's going to happen to everyone afterwards i found that to be really anticlimactic but i'm curious diane you did not watch either of the episodes set after the heist so did you find the heist at least climactic like things sort of built up to it not particularly it did have some momentum within the episode itself to me there were a few elements of a classic heist story that i found lacking in this story itself which i'll wait until we've gotten sure 
to our official spoiler to disclose what those were. But so it didn't really have that satisfying heist excitement for me. No, and it's not a conclusion, really, because it leaves you on a bit of a cliffhanger because you know there's some stuff that's going to happen afterwards. So it doesn't feel super complete by itself. I don't think. What I wanted to uh, call out before we get into details is you mentioned, like, lack of momentum. And I think that is where drawing, you know, that connection again to love life. Love life told out of order, but in a specific sequence that builds the emotional momentum and takes you through the story in a way that feels deliberate and clear and like you're following a character arc. This, because they know you're going to watch the first seven episodes in any order, each of the first seven episodes is kind of self-contained in a way that prevents it from building up any momentum into the next episode, because they don't know what the next episode is going to be for you. So not just can they not do any story momentum, they can't end on a cliffhanger that you're about to find out what happened, but there's they also can't build a lot of emotional momentum, because the next episode might not have this character in it because not all the characters are in every episode he meets them at different points in his life and in his uh you know uh, heist scheme and so there's you, you never met rj at all and then rj's in the finale you saw and something dramatic happens and you're like who is this man i've never met this man no and so i really didn't care what happened to him i will say um Stan was a character I had invested in in the first two episodes I saw, which were uh, the green and the yellow episode. I really liked him. I liked this performance, interesting character, and not a lot happens with him in the finale. Um, I imagine things happened to him after that, but I didn't really get a conclusion for the guy I was most excited about character-wise. Yeah, you know, they, they, they can't guide you uh, as clearly on, like, who to focus on and what to expect uh, when they don't know what you're going to watch in what order. And to, and to be fair, you skipped a bunch of episodes. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, to be fair to the, the writers and creators, like, yeah, we know we, we took a cheat cheat route to the finale. But at the same time, I think the, the argument stands that the momentum never builds. You never really feel like uh, things are building as much as you feel like things are repeating themselves. Uh, before we dig into the details, I want to um, make a strange comparison to an episode of Rick and Morty. But if you've seen the episode of Rick and Morty I'm, I'm talking about, it's not strange at all. Because Rick and Morty often parodies specific genres or tropes. And there, there's an episode that is all about heist movies. And Rick hates heist movies. And the entire episode is a series of ever-escalating heist reveals that, oh, the heist failed and we were uh, sabotaged by the other heist artist. Nope, that was all part of the plan all along. Now let's go back and see how that plan unfolded. Oops, this was all part of yet another larger plan all along. And let's go back and see how that plan unfolded. And then it continues ad nauseum until the heist actually begins to consume the entire universe by heisting plans and whole worlds away and then we find out at the end that was all part of the plan all along because the real heist was rick trying to get his uh you know grandson morty to stop being interested in writing a heist movie for netflix by taking away his love of heists 
That's oh, the wow. plot of that episode of Rick and Morty. And I was thinking about that episode constantly throughout Kaleidoscope, both because this feels like the script that Morty was probably writing for Netflix, and more importantly, because this similarly just kept cycling through the heist tropes. The mechanics of the heist are there, and each episode is another, like, mini heist. There's heists within heists within heists, because there's a big heist, but we can't build a lot of momentum towards the big heist because we're doing it in whatever order we want. So each episode's more focused on its own micro heist that's one part of the larger heist. But that just creates a situation where it feels like you're watching the same movie over and over again because you are. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I respected the ambition of this project and didn't know much about the creator, Eric Garcia, going into it. So I decided to like do a bit of very light internet digging into previous projects. And he had co-written the movie Repo Men with Jude Law. Um, And I wanted to share the like headline of the Rotten Tomatoes review of Repo Men. Um, Repo Men has an intriguing premise as well as a likable pair of leads, but they're wasted on a rote screenplay in different direction and mind-numbing gore. That's the end of the quote. For me, other than the mind-numbing gore that could have been said about this show. Yeah, that actually is a really apt uh, way to describe it. And at this point, if you're really still dying to watch Kaleidoscope, this is your spoiler warning, because we are going to discuss actual uh, plot details now, uh, including and up to the finale. Because to be honest, I don't think it matters what order you watch the finale in. So just watch it whenever if you're going to watch it. Um, that's your spoiler warning. What, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the killer thing here is that the heist at the center of it all is not that interesting. That's a big problem. Yeah, that was that was a problem for me. Um, I am a fan of heist movies. Uh, yeah, I Dan say, Harmon be damned. Yeah, I actually, but. like, I love that episode of Rick and Morty because it calls out heist movies for all the schlocky, cheap cliches they do. And I love all of those schlocky, cheap cliches. I love a good Ocean's Caper. Like, I'm not knocking the genre at all. Those schlocky cliches need to have some originality and some really surprising moments. Uh, there were a few surprises for me in the heist. Now that we're free to share spoilers, bees, bees, uh, yep, bees. But then that there wasn't a huge payoff. No, for there the bees. was no. I so I had heard that there were bees in the the heist. Uh, as I was watching, I watched all eight episodes. I I just binged the whole thing, and I I knew bees were coming. And I was like, well, as I as I began to kind of peter out on my interest in the show, I thought, well, at least I'm gonna see what the bees are for. And then it wasn't that interesting. I kind of blinked and missed it. I was like, oh, yeah, the bees were there. I, did, did they matter, though? Uh, no, I, I didn't think no. they ultimately affected the outcome, the outcome at, at all. all. <laughs> and I think that maybe that's something that is a, a fault in the writing of this show, that things don't seem to affect the characters or the plot. That It was between each plot point, it felt like you could say, and then instead of, um, and therefore. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of it seems like it just happened because that's the next thing that's supposed to happen, not necessarily because anybody wants anything in particular. I'm not sure why this group of people is really doing this. I know why uh, Leo, Leo, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who is great in this, 
Uh, so good. I understand his motivation. The show is about him and his quest for revenge against uh, an old uh, heist colleague from his old heisting days, played by Rufus Sewell, who I also love and also think love. is great in this role. Uh, but their their characters are both a little flat, and their history is a little rote. It's, you know, one of them betrayed the other, kind of. There's a bit of racial politics to it that's kind of interesting, but they only sort of scratch the surface on it in the one episode and then move on. And that's supposed to be enough to kind of fill in your, your motivation for Leo. And and I get Leo's motivation. Uh, he's got a daughter in the mix. He's trying to reconnect with her, though he was a bad dad for not trying to reconnect with her sooner. Uh, so, you know, I get that. The rest of the crew, I have no idea what any of them are doing here at a certain point. All of them, this, like, there's a huge payday. If they're successful, they're each going to get, like, a billion dollars. Okay, okay, that that is motivation for sure. But I, their character, they make choices that go beyond the definition of, I'm doing this for a billion dollars. And I don't know why they're making any of these choices. I don't know why even some of them are part of the crew. Uh, the, the Bob, Bob the safe cracker. He's not even supposed to be part of the crew. He's just dating someone else or married to, to someone else in the crew and refuses to let her participate if he doesn't get to participate as well. And that also somehow qualifies him to crack the world's most elaborate, complicated vault ever. Oh, no. I found his character completely unlikable. And I like Jai Courtney. I think yeah. that actor is good and just wasn't given anything to work with. Overall, I felt like this show could have really used some humor and that character would have yeah. been so much more palatable if they let him be funny. And he had a couple jokes, but they were so mean spirited and not that funny. Um, we find out that uh, that Giancarlo Esposito's character, Leo, has Parkinson's. And I think in one of the early episodes or early for me um, episodes, uh, Bob refers to him as like steak and shake or something like horrendous like that. Like, oh, that's just not very funny and just cruel and awful. Like, oh, I don't I don't really get his character. No. And then he's married to Judy, who has a, a relationship history with Stan, one of the other members of the crew. Uh, and you know, th there's a lot of like, will they, won't they with Stan and Judy? Like they have got a backstory that we see in uh, the episode Green, uh, which mm. is probably the best episode of the series. It takes place uh, several years in the past when Leo and Stan are, are prison uh, together. They're, they're cellmates in prison. And it's about how Leo broke out of prison. That one's the best self-contained episode and the best episode where I also like the characters the most and I like isn't quite the right word I, I understand their motivations the most and want to see them succeed or fail at what they're trying uh, I've, I've the most um uh stakes the stakes that's that's the word we use in the industry the stakes feel real in that episode uh and and Bob makes an appearance in that episode and I hate him uh, Judy makes multiple appearances in that episode and at the very least I understand like the dynamic going on between Stan and Judy and Bob there then in the present day so to speak when the, the actual big heist is coming together they go to recruit Judy Bob comes along and Judy and Bob are just awful together I hate both of them and they keep hinting that maybe Judy and Stan will get back together uh, and I for a while I'm like oh so you want me to want that right and then, spoiler alert, at the end, after we jump into the future, 
uh, Judy just ditches Stan. She is with Stan for a little bit, and then she ditches him to watch Bob get arrested, and then she flees with Bob's money. And they're all awful people. And Stan, they just wind up play, like painting him as kind of a boring, average normie guy, and she hates that about him, which is also just a really weird choice because like nobody really gets a happy ending at the end of this, and at least like somebody is realizing that life is should just be normal. Stan is just trying to like eat a taco at the taco truck, and Judy is still on this weird obsessive hunt for Bob, her horrible, abusive ex-husband current husband but ex because he's on the run i you know i hated everything about them i did too yeah i didn't get their full story and i was relieved to not get it and and for the record i really do not blame these actors this is a writing thing i think across the board the writing for the women characters that i saw was not good um it was just like very 2d and they felt like they were there uh as objects for these men are like half thought out things um to me that shows that the show is missing like a essential element to a heist movie which is that even though these characters are criminals there is something virtuous about them the people who they're going up against are worse and they're fighting a flawed system there's like this robin hood element to a good heist movie that this did not have Leo still has that, but nobody else does. And I think, you know, we don't get that much character development for the minor people in Ocean's Eleven, but they're still fun and interesting, you know, even if their bit is just, we're brothers and we bicker. Okay, I get that. Let it be simple like that. Don't make every plot a big soap opera that is not fun and not ultimately at all something likable yeah i think i think that's really true i think you know a lot of these uh heist stories that fail are trying to imitate the shape of like oceans 11 but they're missing the heart of oceans 11 uh and and that is you know partly george clooney and brad pitt can make anything seem charming but you need to understand that we wanted them to win and we we because we wanted to be them and i don't want to be any of these people i don't really want them to succeed because what they're doing is kind of i I, again i think it's just so much like you wanted to be part of oceans 11 you wanted to be the 12th you're like yeah Mm -hmm. sign me up these guys are so funny and awesome and like they're gonna stick it to the man if these guys came to me they're like we got this harebrained scheme to get seven billion dollars from these bad people trust us they're really bad we're also bad and we're not really nice to be around and it's no fun to spend time with us and we're just barely gonna pull this off with bees i'd be like no i don't want to hang out with you you're the bad news people my mother told me to avoid yeah i i think that's true i do think there is an audience for this show and i think that part of it is that there's some saving grace in the gimmick and that I want to talk to people who watch it about their experience of watching it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's part of it. Even if we all decide it wasn't worth it, I still feel that there's something to talk about in in that. And that is a gimmick. But to me, it's not a total waste of your time to turn this on, even if it's not that good. Yeah, Does actually, I, I, yes, it, I think it makes perfect sense as somebody who spent all eight hours watching this. Uh, I, I, I think the gimmick is promising, actually. The problem is that this story uh, wasn't strong to begin with, to be frank, but also wasn't served by this gimmick. 
and the, the gimmick did not enhance the story in any way. The gimmick kind of felt like it was tacked on. I, I realize it wasn't. This was by design, but that's how it felt uh, unnecessary. And that I would have preferred that they, ch- I would have preferred they chose a sequence of episodes that took me on a more clear emotional arc than leaving it to chance. Where, like I said before, they gave me the red and pink episodes, which both take place after the heist, right before the heist. And for me, I the the actual heist episode itself is the one I remember the least because I was so over it by that point. I'd seen everything that happens afterwards. I pink the way that the series and you know, the series chronologically ends six months after the heist. I hated that episode. Maybe the worst episode of the whole series. And so then you've just told me that all of these people are going to have horrible things happen to them in the next six months. They're all irredeemable like people. And okay. Now enjoy the heist. I'm like, no, that's, yeah. you, you could not have set that up worse for me. Uh, if you're gonna have this pink episode where everybody is miserable or dead in the future, okay, that should be way earlier in the season so that my palate is cleansed by the time I actually get to the heist itself. Yeah, and that there's um, some mystery involved in what happened that we really want to see. I think another aspect of a good heist story is that there's um, a virtuosity to seeing criminals do something really well. So like there can be something really beautiful in watching someone pick a lock or in watching things get timed in a really precise, clever way that is so, so satisfying to watch. It's like watching someone play the violin beautifully. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't have that they're kind of bad at it yeah actually i, I think like the, they're the not only, that smart the only episode where i felt that way was the green episode the one that's about the prison break mm-hmm. and it's partly because it was such a simple plan that relied on really rudimentary tools the stan is the chef at the prison cafeteria he puts magic mushrooms in the oatmeal and gets all of the prisoners really high which causes the security to get distracted while stan and uh leo are in the prison in infirmary and they escape from there using a key made out of play-doh like all of those details and the timing and the the you know really gritty ways that they had to invent their way out that had the the alchemy of a good heist story where i was seeing it all come together really beautifully really satisfying uh the the sense of like you're gonna get caught every two seconds but oh you've you timed it perfectly you got away at the right moment you threw the distraction at just the right moment really satisfying i would actually say if you're at all curious about the show, Green is the it's episode great. to watch. And if you really like it and you, you're interested in the characters, okay, pick a couple more. Check them out. See if um, more of it jives with you. Maybe you like this way more than we did. Maybe you find an order for the episodes that's really satisfying. And if so, I encourage you to email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. Tell us what that order is. I'm not really looking to do a rewatch, but I certainly would entertain the idea of one if you told me you'd found the perfect sequence. Agreed. And I also think that Netflix might be onto something with this uh, sort of gamble on this kind of show. It's not existing IP, really. It's not uh, um, something we have seen exactly done before. And that, to me, is really exciting. I hope they keep encouraging creators to play with form um, in a way that feels essential to the content, not in a gimmicky way. But, you know, if it is a gimmick, I'm fine with it, too. Just do it well. Yeah, and and I, I agree, actually. I You know, to Netflix's credit, 
I watched all eight episodes. And I would agree with you, a few in, I knew I wasn't actually going to uh, feel like this was a satisfying experience, but I, I was motivated enough by the structural gimmick, by the fact that I wanted to see more of the uh, moments in time they chose and see, I knew that there were a couple episodes set after the heist, uh, and while they wound up being pretty disappointing, knowing that was in in store for me, kept me going, because I wanted to see, well, okay, what's that about? Why do you have some set after the heist? Is that going to be really cool or interesting? And, and you know, to be fair, I thought one of them was pretty interesting, uh, Red, which takes place the morning after the heist, because there you get to see uh, that everything did go wrong, but you're not sure how it went wrong yet, and you don't it doesn't go too much further into the future, so it doesn't tell you, it doesn't fill in too many blanks yet. Whereas Pink went too far and told me too much. Uh, but but to be fair, like, I thought some of that was intriguing. And so I agree, I'd like to see Netflix in particular, because they seem to be the, the streamer most willing to try these kind of things. Uh, but uh, any of them to try more of these. Yeah. Um, Netflix and Netflix, Netflix Geeked, which is Geeked. a... Um, <laughs> a Netflix uh, podcast, I think, where they talk about their... It's just like a promotional podcast. Um, they collaborated on Instagram on a post um, sharing different setups for the order of kaleidoscopes that you could use um, as sort of frameworks to make your way through. And they have... I think that they kind of give away some of the show's ambitions in it and some of the show's uh, like parallel works that they were looking to be like um, that to me, it didn't hold up to that. So they show the chronological way they show one that's what if Kaleidoscope was a Tarantino film, that mm. order. What if Kaleidoscope was a classic detective story? What if Kaleidoscope was Orange is the New Black, which green the green episode has big yeah, Orange sure. is the New Black vibes. And what if Kaleidoscope was the usual suspects? To me, it does not ever meet... touch any of those, but it does steal no. DNA from all of them. Yes, and I I am into all those yeah. kinds of properties, so I hope that we'll get more of this kind. There's of a huge usual suspects reveal at the end of White. Did did that make any sense to you about his daughter? On it a little bit, but at the same time, it was really um, so much melodrama for me at that point. You know, a lot of the motivation for Leo is him mending his relationship with his daughter somehow. And that starts as a promising place because that's a, I get it. That's a real juicy kind of tried and true motivation for a male protagonist. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but the longer it goes on, the more it does lean into this kind of really melodramatic wallowing where I, at the end of the series, wanted to kind of just smack Leo and be like, you had years to talk to her. You could have, like, this is your fault. And you're not helping the situation. And then at the end, we find out, I, I'm happy to spoil this because we're almost wrapped anyway, uh, that she was heisting the heist the whole time. She was the mastermind of the meta heist to steal the things that they were stealing during the heist. And that she gets away with it, but none of the rest of them do. And, and she's sort of a bad person after all. And it's because he raised her that way. The end. And I don't know, I, 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 okay, but that didn't feel like a satisfying payoff for this uh, promise of a man, uh, you know, expert criminal trying to mend his relationship with his daughter. That just felt like a weird twist to be like, no, his daughter was playing him all along. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah, she had that line where she's like, I'm not your inside man. And I was like, okay. oh, but you, you just were. You for... are, though. Yeah. For the, like the entire season. 
in green, I thought they did set up their dynamic in an interesting way. Uh, by the time I watched the second episode I watched, which was yellow, she had already basically gone over to his side, and that never felt uh, that was also earned. something where, yeah, she is her his inside man at uh, the, this bank-like company that has the world's most secure vault in New York City. Um, and she, she's been working there for years. It's a long con. And it is supposed to be sort of a surprise when you find out that she's the inside man, depending on the order you watch them in. But uh, it was never surprising. It was always super obvious that she was probably the inside man the entire time, no matter what order you watch it in. And th- that was indicative of a lot of the reveals in the show. Uh, another one that I, I feel fine giving away now is that RJ's dead. RJ, the mm-hmm. guy you never met, gets brutally murdered by Judy in the heist. And I was not surprised to see that because in the episodes that take place after the heist, everyone keeps going, where's RJ? And anytime someone says, where's RJ? They cut to Judy making a, the guiltiest face I've ever seen. And I'm like, why did, that's a really poor directing choice. That's like you're telegraphing way too much. I, as soon as you do that, I'm like, well, RJ's dead and Judy knows why. And I bet yeah. Judy did it. Yeah, I felt like they didn't trust us. No. And maybe some of that is they were afraid that the nonlinear structure meant that they had to make sure we knew what was going on at every possible moment. That's challenging. Uh, but you, that that means you need to do that much better at, at the job of writing it. Sorry to say. Really, it, it it's, would be such a difficult setup to write well. I would love to learn more about how the network or how Netflix was involved in the creation of this. If they had a really strong hand in being like, no, you need to give us more here. I need to see that Judy might know something. Or if they were really laid back, which is what I assume may have happened and just said, like, go make this show. Okay, looks fine. Great. We can do it in any order. They could have used some notes. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I also felt like Netflix as a platform did not do much to enable an interesting experience with the nonlinear storytelling. And that is also technically very difficult because the Netflix app needs to be on all of these TVs and all of these streaming boxes, and they're all different. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, I wanted a button that said, like, randomize them for me. And then I would see them, like, in a new sequence, and I would be like, oh, this is the one I want, or randomize it again. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Uh, Yeah, okay, I can see that really easily in my head. Executing that for a single series would be an engineering feat for a company the size of Netflix with so many different places that they, the content needs to go. So I, I, I would love to see them, if they're interested in these kinds of formats and experiments, invest in an infrastructure that can do more interesting things with them. That's a big ask. But if they really want to do more like this and make it something that feels uniquely Netflix, where I'm like, yeah, Netflix is the place I go for that kind of experimental storytelling, that interactive storytelling, which obviously they've dabbled with with Black Mirror and Kimmy Schmidt. Like, if they want to be the destination for that, they need to put in more work to be the destination for that. Agreed. Um, I do think that uh, also... And I'd be curious to hear if this experience is different for any of our listeners or for you, Chris. For me, I have a Netflix profile on a larger account. There are five profiles on the account, which might not be the case for much (laughs) longer. But everyone on the account had the same order in individual profiles. That's what I'm curious about, too. 
so if that is the case, those are going to be the people I'm going to talk to about it the most. Was you that know? on There's purpose so that they want, yeah, maybe that's on purpose, honestly, that they want you to be watching in the same order as the people in your household. Uh, but mm. maybe that's not on purpose. I, it's not, the thing is, the the way it's presented just says, you can watch it in any order. It doesn't give you any uh, idea about whether that's easy, whether you need to choose, whether they've chosen for you in a unique way or not. It uh, Once you're in the menu, it just looks like a Netflix series, and they stuck on a two-minute fake episode at the front called Black that, that's just a trailer that says, you can watch these in any order. Enjoy! And then if you don't do anything, it just continues in the order that Netflix decided for you, uh, which is fine. But I, yeah, I, I have questions, and it seems like they didn't uh, take the time to answer them. No. At the same time, it didn't seem to be a story that was very much about perspective and how your perspective on the world changes the way you view things. Um, that, to me, would have had a big thematic payoff that I felt didn't really exist. Um, there was something happening where, like, um, you know, the green episode, for instance, would have a lot of... Uh, like green coloration and green images. Um, I thought that they could have leaned in further with that and been a bit more original with the visual storytelling of the show too. It felt like it was sort of a little usual suspects and a little bit uh, Ocean's Eleven, but um, neither. And yeah. and so it was sort of a, a muddy middle ground. I, I also felt like the color motif where every episode is named after a color and, and has some visuals that really highlight that color. I also just thought either you either lean so much harder into that or don't do it at all. But this kind of like middling half uh, commitment to the motif really highlighted how tacked on and distracting it was because already I'm tracking the complicated time jumps. Like, okay, yellow takes place like six weeks before the heist and green takes place like eight years before the heist and and so each episode has a title card with this big color but then also with a, a amount of time next to it and i'm like okay why didn't you just call this episode three weeks before the heist why did you call it yellow or whatever? Like, I, and the, the, you didn't choose enough of a reason. Like, if there'd been a bigger lean into it, I would have been like, well, yeah, it, it's a little confusing, but they really leaned into yellow stuff. The whole episode was yellow. Okay, then then it's a choice. But here, I was like, what? You're just throwing more uh, motifs at it. You've got, like, your usual suspects, your Tarantino, your colors. Okay. Yeah. Having said that, it's not the worst show I've seen. It's certainly not the worst show on Netflix. Uh, you know, not, I, not even close to the worst show on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that this show is for someone and um, that the people, you know, should at least give it. I give Watch Green. Yeah, I actually think, you know, through this review, we've come to a consensus that I can stand behind. Streamageddon officially instructs you to go watch Green. It's a great episode of television. And then if you keep watching, let us know what you thought of the whole series. Podcast at streamageddon.com is, of course, how you can do that. But until then, Diane, uh, I am so excited for a new year of new streams. So you know what we say uh, as we part ways. Keep streaming.
hang out with you. You're the bad news people my mother told me to avoid. <laughs>